So here we go. Um, we, we, we're in a series called Carpe Diem. It means, um, it, it's a Latin word. It means to seize the day. And just a real review real quick. Week one we talked about the fit, having 50-20 vision. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 where J, uh, Joseph at the end of his life said, you know what? I've come to realize all the hardships I've fa- faced, I've come down to this one conclusion that what the enemy meant to hurt me or to harm me, God meant it for good. And how many know that's a great way to live your life? Knowing that God's going to turn this thing around for good. And in the second week, we talked about Moses' challenge to the people as they were facing the Red Sea, had just come out of Egypt, and they're standing there, kind of in a little tight spot, looked like the enemy was going to come and track him down and destroy them, but he stood there and he said, face your fear, stand still, and see the salvation of God, and that's where God wants to take us. He wants us to be in a place where we can stand still and have a peace and walk through what God has brought us to, and so we can see the salvation of the Lord. Week three, we talked about about how successful people do consistently what, what most other people just do occasionally. How important it is to have structure in your life and how goals just don't happen accidentally. So you have to actually make these things happen. You have to have a plan in the process. Week four, we talked about cutting the rope. Now in our life, we need to take risks. And every, every time we take a risk, we're, we're stepping out there in faith. And m- many people, they live their lives with, with, in, with the regrets. And they've never stepped out and cut the rope. And, and they, never, they always wanted to play it safe. In fact, that's the way they lived their life. This, their goal of life was to arrive safely at death. Come on, how many know that's not the way to live life? We've got to live on the edge. And that's what God has called us to. Week five, we talked about there's nothing as wonderful as an opportunity that no one is just born great. The greatness comes by creating great purpose in your life. You got to have a great purpose to live for. You got to run with great people if you're going to accomplish it. And number three, you have to look for the opportunities because they're all around. Ephesians chapter five says, make a use of every opportunity that God has given us because there are many opportunities around, which brings us to today. And today we're going to talk about seed the clouds. Turn to your neighbor, tell them you need to seed the clouds. We'll explain that in a minute. You need to seed the clouds. So the year after World War II ended, November 13, 1946, a single propeller plane left Schenectady County Airport with six pounds of dry ice. On that plane was a chemist by the name of Vincent Schaefer. He was actually a research scientist and he worked for General Electric. And what he had found was that in this deep freeze sub-zero refrigerator, giant refrigerator that they had there at the research center, he'd walked in and he kind of blew out like a cloud of breath. And then in that moment, it kind of created a a cloud in that deep freeze. And he dropped in that little cloud some, some dry ice and snow came out of it. And he thought that was very interesting. So a few weeks later, he got in this single uh, engine plane and he went up into the clouds and with six pounds of dry ice, found a cumulus cloud, and he dropped the dry ice into the cloud. And people on the ground, aware of what was going to happen, uh, or knew what he was doing, were looking up into the clouds. And people from 40 miles away literally saw literally the cloud explode with, with snow. Just a, a, a dry day, and just the cloud exploded with snow. And he, what did he do? He seeded the clouds. He seated that he created something. Something happened that wouldn't have naturally happened, but he added something to it that created something supernatural in a sense. Today, we want to know, we need, you need to know, that's not the first person that's ever seeded the cloud. 
There's actually another person that seated the cloud years before. I want to take you to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And I just want to read this passage of scripture quickly to us. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, let me just give you the background real quick before we go any further. God had just judged Israel. Um, There had not been rain for three and a half years. There had been, now there was a famine in the land. It was bad. People were in a hard situation. Um, God was like, you know what? You don't want to serve me? That's fine. But here's the results that come, you know? Uh, Rain is a result of a a blessing. And I've been blessing you, but you don't want to honor me? Well, you know, we'll just withhold rain. And and so the people were, were, the nation was falling apart. Idolatry was ruling the land. People were desperate. And so Elijah says, hey, uh, why don't we just have a little, um, why don't we just, we've done this long enough. Why don't we come to this uh, okay corral experience on top, top of Mount Carmel, and let's just have it out. You bring your 400 uh, idols of Asheroth, and you bring your 450 idols of Baal, and, and, and we'll put a sacrifice up there, and you'll, you'll pray to your God, and let's see if your God will consume the sacrifice supernaturally. And then I'll do the same, and I'll pray to my God, our only God, the one and truly God, and we'll see what he does. And so they did. They said, that sounds like a good thing. All the people gathered around, and so so for the better part of the day, these 850 uh, prophets of Baal and Asherah were up there and they were just praying to their God and praying and praying and, and Elijah's kind of standing over there on the side knowing that there's no God, knowing there's nothing going to happen. In fact, he's kind of over there chiding them. said, hey, maybe he doesn't hear you. Hey, maybe he's taking a lunch break. Maybe he's at the bathroom. Come on, watch it pray a little louder. Maybe you should dance a little bit. Maybe you should do something else. And they were, they took him and they started dancing, chanting, cutting their arms, doing all this bleeding, everything, and nothing would happen. Finally, at the end of the day, uh, Elijah says, you know, enough is enough. And so he went over to his sacrifice and he prayed this small little prayer. And after he prayed this small little prayer, God came with a lightning and he consumed the sacrifice, consumed this, the altar that it was on, consumed even the water that he had sprinkled it down just to kind of make sure that they all knew this was God. And everybody at that point realized that there was one true God. And Elijah turned and said, now it's time to cleanse the land, do away with these false prophets. They did away with them. And it was right after that that we read this passage of scripture. So there's been this cleansing, if you can picture this, like this revival in a sense, where people are, have this aha moment that there is only one God, that we need to serve this God, and there, but yet there's still no rain. And so Elijah says to Ahab, who's the king, go eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. You ever heard that sound of a heavy rain? You've probably heard it. You've probably seen the rain coming. Perhaps you sense the, the change of the climate and the, the temperature, and you feel that little cool breeze sweeping through. And, and, and so, so Elijah goes, I, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. Now, the only problem with this is there's no heavy rain. It's just he hears something. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed up to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. He took a posture of prayer. And he began to pray. And he says to his servant, go and look towards the sea. Go climb a little further, look out towards the sea, and see if you see rain coming. So he goes up, looks, and comes back and says, no, boss, there's nothing there. Seven times Elijah says, go back, look, see if there's rain coming. 
No, nothing there. No, nothing, no, no, nothing, no, nothing. He's still praying. Oh, God, we pray for rain. I thank you for rain. I hear the sound of it. I know my, my spirit and my, my heart, God, I hear. I know the miracle's happening. Oh, Father, thank you. Go, go see. No, no, nothing. Oh, Father, we thank you. I praise you. I worship you. And, and finally, the seventh time, the servant comes back, and he goes, you know what? I, I saw a small little cloud like the size of a man's hand, way, way out there. How many know that there's significance even in that? The hand is uh, symbolic of, of the church, the fivefold ministries, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And, 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 and also, it's small. And the community does just say this before we go any further. Don't despise small beginnings. Because God likes to do a lot of big things through small things. Come on, if you'll, do, if you'll t- attempt a small thing like it's a big thing, God will turn around and make that small thing a big thing. And so he says, I see this small little hand like a cloud, and, and you know, it's, it's rising from the sea. So Elijah says, oh, that's it, that's it. And so he, he goes to tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops you, rain's coming. He just saw a little cloud, but he interpreted, he knew it was rain. And so, meanwhile, the sky grew black with, the, with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. It's a 17 to a 30 mile track. Let's say 25 miles. Here's, here's Ahab the king on his chariot, and he's trying to beat the rain before the rain comes and flash floods start coming because it hadn't been so much, so the ground was just so dry, it would have just been a flood. And, and so he's trying to beat the rain from coming, and, and, and all of a sudden he sees this guy. And it's the prophet, he's running, he's running, he beats the guy on a chariot. It's like, what? You know, how many... How many hears the sound of the chariots of fire when I tell that story? I mean, you know, you're thinking, you know, I, how many remember yourself when you used to run? How many, how many remember yourself when you saw that snake? Come on, and you, you just start running. That's, we're talking this for 30, 45 miles, and Elijah takes up, which tells me it's amazing how fast you can get things done when you're anointed by God. It's amazing. You can get more done in one week anointed by God than you can do one year trying to get it done by yourself. And so he's anointing, he beats Ahab back to Jezreel, and that's the end of the story. Uh, the, the land is freed of, of its famine, and, and the people begin to experience this incredible revival and, uh, at the same time. What did, what did he do? Elijah seeded the clouds. He prayed, and out of his prayer life, God began to manifest the supernatural visitation upon the land. I want to quickly give you three things that you can do to seed the clouds and bring God's kingdom into the earth. Number one, we need to desire a prophetic imagination. What is a prophetic imagination? Simply put, it is having God ideas. Having God ideas. I know you're a smart person and you made straight A's in school, we're in honor roll, but even your best idea is probably nothing compared to God's ideas. 
We need to have God ideas. We need, to, we need to hear prophetically what God is saying because when you have a prophetic imagination and you begin to have these God ideas, suddenly you begin to see the invisible. You can write these down in your notes. You, you see the invisible. You begin to hear the inaudible. And you begin to believe the impossible. Let me say that again. You begin to see the invisible. You begin to hear the inaudible. And you begin to believe the impossible. That's what happens when you have a prophetic imagination. You're not confined to what everyone else is confined to because you have a God who's bigger than, than the box that everyone else lives in. Your God is bigger than that box, so everything that you, that, that you live for is live for a God who can make it happen if he wants to make it happen. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. The people say to Elijah, you're crazy. He goes, no, I hear the sound of rain. No, there's no rain. Look, there's no rain. There hasn't been rain for three and a half years. You're a crazy person. You're out of touch. Uh, Elijah was not out of touch. In fact, at that point, everyone else was out of touch, and Elijah was the only one hearing from God. The point is that we have to hear what God is saying. It wasn't in the book of Revelations, in the first three, chapter three, four, and five, that God says to the churches there, uh, the seven different churches, it says, he begins to speak to him, and it says, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Do you have spiritual ears? Can you hear what God is saying to you in this hour? Are you, can you hear the voice of God? Listen, one of the greatest benefits of knowing God is that you get to hear God. You get to, you get to hear him speak to your spirit and to your heart, and you begin to walk that out in natural life. Are you hearing what God is saying? Dr. Alfred Tomatis is a world-renowned otolaryngologist. You like that impressive word? I, pr I practice that. Let me say it one more time just to impress you again. An otolaryngologist. You say, well, what is that? That's an ear, nose, and throat doctor. But I thought I'd say that word just to make, sure, make impress you a little bit. And so Dr. Alfred Tomatis um, was visited one day by a famous opera singer. And this famous opera singer had come to him and he says, I have a problem, doctor. My, my problem is I'm not able to hit the notes that I've always been able to hit my entire life. I know there, these notes are within my range, but something has happened. I can't hit these notes anymore. I've been to several other doctors, but they said, I think you have a throat problem. There's something going on in your throat. We're not sure, but there's something going on in your throat. However, Dr. Tomata said, I I'm not sure about that. Let's get a sanometer, another interesting word, which measures sound vibrations and detects hearing loss. He says, let's pull this out, and I want you to begin to sing into this sanometer, and like you would in an opera. Just begin to just belt it out. You know how you do in the, in the shower. You know what I'm talking about. Like you were doing this morning. Ah! That no one else ever hears you sing, but you can do it quite well. He, so he, he started singing uh, into the sanometer, and 
what Dr. Tomatis found was to his shock, the man's ability to sing, his capacity to create volume was so large that he was literally hitting, pegging out the centimeter at 140 decibels. Now, if you don't know what that is, that is this equivalent of a, a fighter jet getting ready to leave an aircraft carrier. If you can imagine standing behind with nothing over your ears and listening to the, the sound of the jet engine powering up and then taking off an aircraft carrier, that is what was coming out of this opera singer's mouth, the type of volume. And what Dr. Tomatis discovered was this, uh, the, the opera singer literally had become deaf from his own voice. He had sung himself into a hearing loss that he could no longer hit the notes because he couldn't hear the notes anymore. Because the voice can only reproduce what it can hear because he couldn't hear those notes anymore because he lost some hearing uh, abilities, he could, he could no longer hit, hit the notes. And so it came to be known as the Tumatus effect. We're literally, we have this, uh, this we've created this problem where we, we can no longer hear something that should be heard. I blame my, my tomatus, I blame it, uh, all the, to my wife. I said, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. I have a tomatus problem. <laughs> she goes, you got more than a tomatus problem, so she says. <laughs> but, but really, God is speaking, and God is sharing and speaking into our hearts. And we all have problems. We all have emotional problems. We all have you know, relational problems. We all have spiritual problems. But the root cause, if you get to the root cause of what, what is causing these problems, it's really a hearing problem. Did you hear me? Can you say amen if you heard me? Do we need to turn the volume up a little bit in the house? We, we have a hearing problem. Can I hear an amen? Amen. <laughs> We, we have a hearing problem, and, and our ears have become deafened to what? To the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to our spirit here. And if you're not listening for that, you'll miss it. Because the Holy Spirit don't yell. Amen. He doesn't yell and scream and no, you idiot, says the Lord. No. It's a still, small voice. It's a still, small voice. We talked about in week one how we have 60,000 thoughts a day. And the 80% they've surveyed, measured, they predict about 80% of our thoughts we have every day are negative. That's why it's so important, Romans 12.1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing will. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What am I saying? I'm saying you have to put, position yourself in a place where you can hear the voice of God. 
You have to put yourself in that position where, where you, you can hear and discern these thoughts that are coming across your heart and your mind. No, that's not God. That was the, of the enemy, or that thought was from the, my own flesh, or that thought was, comes from a hurt of my past. No, this is what God is saying. You gotta be able to decipher between the two things, and when you begin to really tune in and fine tune your ear to the voice in the heart of God, everything changes. You start seeding the heavens, and God begins to reign upon in your life. It's simply a hearing problem. It's just a hearing problem. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's just a hearing problem. What, what, what percentage of your thoughts and your words and your actions are you getting from the Word of God? What percentage of your thoughts and your words, your actions are you getting from prayer? I love this quote, when we open up the Bible, we open up God's mouth. That's powerful. Oh, I don't know what God is saying. Uh, okay, I just heard, oh, yeah, there it is, right there. It's amazing what God can do when you open up his word. Elijah says to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. In other words, Elijah is listening for something that no one else is listening for. What are you listening for? In all the chaos and the confusion, all of the social media stuff going on, what voice are you really wanting to hear? Because there is a voice out there that wants to speak to you more than you want to hear. Number two, how do we seed the clouds and bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth? We seed the clouds with persistence. Seven times, Elijah prays. This is the great prophet Elijah. This is the guy who just called down fire upon the sacrifice. But yet, here we see him just a few moments later, and he's praying. You think, well, man, when this guy opens his mouth and talks, man, God listens. Look what he just did a few moments ago. And now he's praying. He's, he's interceding. His head's between his, his legs. He's praying, seeking God. And, and he prays, oh, God, send us your rain. Nothing. Oh, God, send us your rain. Nothing. Oh, God, send us your rain. Thank you. Nothing. Can I just tell you, numbers are important in the Bible. And we see this number seven pop up over and over again. It was the number the Israelites walked around the city of Jericho seven times. God uses that number. And then they shouted and the walls came down. It means the perfection. It means completion. Every time you see the number seven, it carries this thought of something is being perfected or completed. We see Naaman he dips into the Jordan River seven times, sixth time he still has leprosy. The seventh time he dips and comes out, he's totally cleansed. And here we see seven pop up again. Elijah prays not five times, not six times, he prays seven times. Can I ask you this question? I wonder how many prayers have not been answered simply because you gave up on the fourth prayer or you gave up on the fifth prayer, or you gave up on the sixth prayer and you walked away and said, oh God don't hear, God don't care, I'll just do it myself. And you gave up one prayer away you were one prayer away from an answer, from a breakthrough, from what God wanted to do in your life. You got to stay in there. You got to stay with it. We, we, we think that God sometimes is this, this, 
this something on some cloud that, that, that we have to, you know, beg. And no, we're not begging him. We're persistently, listen, my, you have kids. If you have kids, you understand how this works. You say no, you're in a store. No, you can't have any candy. You say it two times. You say it three times. You say it four. You say, it, you say I'm, gonna, I'm going to wear you out if you ask me that again. And somehow, when you're in that checkout line, everyone's there watching, they go, can I have some candy, Dad? And you feel the pressure, everybody's looking at you, yes, you can have the candy. <laughs> I, I love this scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. I love that. But actually in the original language, it actually goes deeper and it says, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened unto you. See, what, 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 what happens here is we, we live in this world where we just... One times all we add, maybe two, three is a big stretch, and then we're done. Which really causes this, this conflict in our heart because what we're actually saying is, I really don't believe he is the answer. Because if I really did believe he's the answer, I would not stop wearing him out with my requests. There's a little bit of doubt. What persistence does, it reveals the doubt in your heart. But when you know that God is a good God all the time, then you will not give up after the prayer is not answered the second, third, or fourth time. You keep on wearing him out. I want to stand before God and one day the Lord said, son, you just wore me out. You wore me out. You just, you just, I'd say no, and you kept on asking. I'd say no again. You kept, I would do nothing. You kept on I want that to be my reputation with the Lord. And number three, how do I bring heaven to the earth? I pray bold prayers. Turn your neighbor and tell him, you need to pray some bold prayers. Come on, go ahead and tell him. Why do I need to pray a bold prayer? Because nothing is too difficult for God. And as a result, you attempt things beyond your ability. And you begin to attempt things beyond your resources. And you begin to attempt things beyond your education. You begin to attempt things beyond your experiences because you understand that nothing's too big for my God. So if nothing's too big for him, nothing's impossible for him, then why am I going to limit him to a possible situation? I'm just going to go for it and see what God will do. And that's why I need the gifts of the Spirit to operate in my life. Because from the gifts of the Spirit, God begins to actually help me believe Him for big things. I'm convinced that God wants me to ask for big things. Come on, He wants you to ask for big things. He wants you to ask things not for your own selfish purposes. Not, oh, I need a bigger Cadillac. Not, you know, I need a bigger rent. No, I'm talking about things that will increase the kingdom of God, that will help other people, that will give us some more greater opportunities to serve other people, show them how much we love them. So God gives us these gifts called supernatural insights, like the word of wisdom, word of knowledge. He gives us the word of prophecy. He gives us supernatural solutions, like the gift of healing and the 
gift of faith and then he gives us supernatural results like the gift of miracles and, and God gives us these, these, these gifts that we can operate in and watch him do big things. If he didn't want us to do big things, he wouldn't have given us big gifts to accomplish it. So medical research has done some, some studies and they've, they've done some research I think it's called longitudinal, longitudinal, to, what's the longitudinal, how, how do you say that word? Okay, that's, that's good, what, he, what he said. It's research, so basically what they were doing, they were taking surveys and they were um, just asking questions and making observations over a great length of time. And what they've discovered is that the cognitive center of gravity in your, in your, your brain shifts from the right side to your left side as you grow older. So when you're young, you think mostly from the right side, and as you get older, you start thinking from the left side. So what does that mean? Well, on the right side is your creative side, your imagination side. It's, a, it's where, you know, nothing's too possible for you. You're just like, yes, I can drive this car at 200 miles an hour. Nothing will ever happen to me. You know, it's the, some people call it, you know, creative. Some call it stupid. But it's that idiot, you know, trying to find his balance in your head. And then as you grow older, it starts shifting to the left side, which is the logical side, which says, oh, no, that, no that, that'll never work. Oh, I've tried that, done that, and that won't work. And we start operating out of memory and logic, and we stop losing the creative and the inspirational side of our mind. It kind of shifts over time. Well, what's the problem with that? I think that's a, a good thing, right? Well, maybe, but here's some flaws. The downside of that is, we stop living out of the imagination and we start living out of just facts. We stop living and creating a future and we just start repeating the past. I'm talking about as you grow older. So you young people, I'm telling you now, I'm explaining to you what's wrong with your parents and grandparents, I'm telling you right now, helping you out. So you give you a little grace for them. And you stop living by faith and you start living by logic and you stop, you stop living and you really start dying. You, you, and I've noticed, I, I've noticed that myself. And well, I'm, I'm like, the, 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 the daring, creative, you know, you know I, I need to call that back up from time to time. I'm like, what happened? I used to, what, what happened? Now I see my kids or grandkids doing something, and I'm like, oh, be careful. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. If I, and I wrote, my wife looked at me one day, she goes, what happened to you? I'm like, I don't know. Something has shifted. That's what happened. I'm over here walking like this now. <laughs> and so we have to be careful because the older you get, the less you begin to dream. Hear me now. The older you get, the less you dream. And Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people what? They perish. What am I saying? Vision is, is a preservative. If I have vision, I'm not going to perish. So I got to keep my vision. I got to make sure that I keep this right side working. 
that only the Holy Spirit can help me do. Because this, this, if I have vision, then I, 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 I'm never past my prime. If I have vision, I never get old. If I have vision, I'm always young. <laughs> I got three amens out of this whole, that whole statement. Just, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again. If I have vision, I never get old. I thought some of you old folks in here going, come on. I'm giving you hope here. That's why Caleb at the age of 80 years old goes, oh, 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 no. That mountain's mine, baby. Now I see it. I know there's an enemy on top of that thing. I know that, that mountain's never been occupied by anybody but them. But I'm telling you, I know in my knower that that thing's mine. Give it to me. And the Bible says that the, even though he was 80, he felt like he was a, as young as a 40-year-old. Because he didn't lose his imagination. didn't lose his vision. Now the worship team comment as we close. We'll finish with a story. According to the Talmud, which is the primary source of Jewish laws and customs that they read from, according to the Talmud, there was something that happened in the generation before Jesus' birth that's very significant. And it's really historic, it's a historical fact. It really, it really did happen. That before Jesus was born, there had become, a, there, had, there was a famine that had come to, to Israel. And people were on the verge of, of perishing. The cisterns had dried up. The, the crops had dried up. And the people were panicking. And so, they came to a man by the name of Honai. Now this is, Honai was, you have to understand, in, in that period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament where I'm talking about, there was not a lot of people that were, it was like you read scriptures, there's nothing there. There's a, the, the voice of God was hard to find. It was, nothing was going on, but there was this one sage, this one man of God that, was they could find named Honey. They went to Honey and said, um, can you do something? Can you talk to God for us? We need rain. And so they, the Talmud says that Honey took his staff, his six-foot staff, and he, he reached down with his staff, and in the sand, the dry sand, he drew a big circle around himself. And then he knelt down. And he said, God, this is not what you promised us as your people. God, I pray that you will send us rain. And I promise, I swear to you, God, I will not leave this circle until you send us rain. And the Talmud says that right after he prayed that prayer, this little mist started falling from the sky. Not, not shower, just a, like a mist. And people are like, oh. And only said, God, you've promised to bless your people. 
This is not the kind of rain that will bless us. We need rain. And immediately, as soon as he prayed that prayer, the Talmud said that this, like the heavens broke loose. It was like this like blistering torrid of rain just falls. Of course, the land hadn't seen rain for so long. Again, the threat of flash floods, and it would be harmful even to the people. So he cries out, God, this too is not the kind of rain that will bless us. We are your favored people. Give us a rain that will sustain us. And immediately the tour stopped and it turned into a gentle, soft rain that continued on until all the cisterns were filled, the ponds, the creeks were filled, and the people were refreshed. I read that story this past week and I told my wife this story. In fact, I want, I, want, I, want to do, I want to do something. I want to ask all the men that are fathers, all the fathers in the house, I'm going to ask you to come join me right here at the front, right now, just for, just for a few moments. I promise we'll be done. won't be long. If you're a father in the house, right here. And we're blessed to have so many men in the house. Love you guys. What a great, great army. And so I told my wife the story. I was moved by this. I was reminded myself of the need to, to be strong in the Lord and stand and believe for things that I knew were mine to have. And so I said, Melissa, will you join me? And, and I want to show you a picture of what we did. And we went to the beach. We made a circle. And we stood right there. We stood there in that circle and we prayed a prayer. And we asked... God. Is that like a sound machine or is that? That's really rain. Come on. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Thank you, Lord. And I asked the Lord. to answer some prayers that I have and that my wife has. And I say, God, I'm a father. But here's the deal. Not just of my own children, but I'm also a father of my children's children and my children's children's children. I'm, the, I'm a father to the third, and the Bible says even the fourth generation. That my life can actually affect the lives of my children, their children, their children. 
In fact, the, the Bible tells us in the, in, in the book of 2 Kings that there was this guy that became king named Jehoram. And Jehoram was wicked, he was evil, and he was, he was bad. He was the sixth king from David. But he was a bad king, he was an evil king, and he, he didn't love God. But the Bible says God preserved the land for the sake of David. Six kings before. That Jehoram was actually walking under the blessing of his God, not because of anything he had done, but because of something that this man six generations before had done. He lived for the Lord. He had sought after his God. He lived separate from the world. He didn't operate out of his flesh, but he was sensitive to what God was saying. And even six kings later, they're still being blessed by the man named David who walked circumspectly before the Lord. I'm challenging as men as fathers, uh, as husbands, uh, to live your life, lay it down before God for the sake of your child, for the sake of your child's child, for the sake of your grandchildren, for the sake of your great-grandchildren, and for your family, for God's sake, stand up uh, and be the man of God. Be the man of God. Some of you have a short time left, some of you have a longer time, but with your time, you can draw a circle in the sand. We lifted our voice to the Lord. We said, God, you know our prayers. You know what we want you to do, oh God. So send your rain upon our children, their children, upon our church, upon you, upon our community, and upon our nation. This morning I'm asking the men of the house, if you would just, with your hand, I know this looks stupid, but it's okay, just kind of draw a circle around yourself right here. Right, just draw a circle, like an imaginary circle, like it's just you in a cylinder before God. And I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. I'm gonna ask, we have other men around here that they'll pray with you as well. And man, just, I'm gonna just ask you just to, Talk to God. Talk to God. Talk to, talk to God for your family. Be that honey in the earth. Be that man that your children, your great-grandchildren will talk about one day. And they'll go, you know, I, there was a man in my life that I didn't even really kind of know, but they tell me about him, and he loved God with all of his heart. He would serve, he would pick up people and hitchhike and tell them about Jesus. He would give to people they had no idea he was given. He was such a great man of God. Everything I am, I owe to that man. Because one day you will be gone. And the little time you have left is all you have to seed the clouds. So this morning, can we bow our heads and men, can we see the clouds? I'll pray out loud, but you see the clouds right where you're at and call out your children. Come on, and call out your grandchildren. Call out, man, for the future generations. God, in Jesus' name, I pray for my own children, for Hannah and for Faith and for Patrick and for my son Judah. God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you love them and you're coming into their life in a supernatural way. I thank you that you're leading them, Lord God, supernaturally. I thank you, oh God, that you 
you have purpose for them and their children, Ava Grace, and other little children coming. I thank you for the plan that you have for their life, oh God. And I draw a circle around me and I pray, oh God, that you'll rain down upon their life, oh God. Oh God, rain down upon our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Help us, oh God, be men men of faith. Men that hunger and thirst after you. Men that are separate from the world. Men that, Lord, line themselves with you, oh God, and hear the voice of God. We draw a circle around ourselves today. We thank you. We thank you, oh God, that you are raining down, that you confirmed it, Lord, with real rain just a few moments ago. That you confirmed to us how pleased you are with us. No, God, answer our prayers. Thank you, Lord God, for our children that have walked away from you, that they're bringing them back to you. Thank you, Lord, for those that even, for the children that we've even lost. Some have lost children. Their children have passed away, and, and but the, still the residue of that loss has affected you. And we pray for healing in their hearts and healings in their life, oh God. Lord, from that experience, we will grow into the things that you've asked us to be. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we just lift our hands, men? Can we lift our hands to the heavens this morning? Can you just say out loud, can you just say thank you, Lord? Can we just thank you for hearing my prayer, God? Thank you that you love me and thank you that you honor my prayers, God. We worship you, we honor you, we love you, God. We worship you, Lord God. Worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we have all the ladies as well stand and everybody else in the audience of you stand? Can we just give these men a great hand? And you just stepped out and said, man, I work. Oh, God. I honor you, men. I honor you. It's not, being, it's not easy being a man in today's world. It's challenging on every front. You go to bed at nights and some of you wonder how you're going to pay the bills. You don't talk to nobody about it and you struggle in silence. Some of you deal with some stuff that's happened way past in your past. You carry the weight of condemnation. You don't even think that God could ever use you. Can I just tell you this morning, that's not true. Again, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning we honor you and we thank you for seeding the clouds and the spiritual dimensions of this community with your lives and with your prayers. We're believing God to answer your prayers, every single one of them. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop asking. Do not stop knocking. Wear God out. Come on, somebody. Just wear him out. Wear him out with your faith. Wear them out with your face.
Yeah, I don't know how to end this really. I know this, if you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we have a little table under a tent out in the lobby. We'd love to meet with you and just kind of talk to you a little bit about that. We'll give you a Bible as well. Uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Come on, man. Well, men, turn around, face the audience, and can I introduce you all to the men that's going to change the world. God bless you. These are the men that will change the world. God bless you. Come on, amen. We will see you next Sunday, Wednesday night Bible study. Have a great week in Jesus' name.